want to make, I, I want to set the record straight because for those of you for a number of years have accused, um, well, me more than my wife, but both of us, since we're a team in all of this, uh, we just want to let you know that uh, we went to St. Louis and um, we had a Bible study with the Rams and I spoke at chapel and they won a game. And um, so I just want to let you know that God has vindicated us to, of all of these malicious rumors that some of you were a part of, thinking that somehow it was our fault. And uh, so we, we know that it was not, and that's good to know. Uh, but we also, you know, in fact, it, it prompted me to come up with a whole new theory about why the Rams lost so much in Anaheim Stadium. Because as we watched the Angels struggling here recently, it, it must be, I think Anaheim Stadium was built upon some ancient Indian burial ground <laughs> or, or something of that sort. And speaking of Indians, uh, well, hey, that was a smooth segue, wasn't it? All right, well, speaking of Indians, Tonto and the Lone Ranger. The Lone Ranger and Tonto, they're out and they're going through this canyon. And they're heading north through this particular canyon. And as, as they get to the end of the canyon, they're, they're greeted by hostile Indian forces that are all dressed in war paint and ready to come and attack. And as they get to the end of it, they realize that they're in trouble. And Tonto looks at the Lone Ranger and says, Kimosabi, what we do now? And so the Lone Ranger looked up ahead and he thought, well, you know what? Let's just back out of here real slow and we'll just head to the west. So they go to the west and as they get to the end of the canyon, sure enough, they're greeted once again by hostile Indian tribes. And they're all painted in war paint and they're ready to attack. And again, Tonto looks at him and says, Kimosabi, what we do now? Lone Ranger looks and says, well, let's uh, head the other direction. So they back out and they slowly start to ride to the east. And they get to the end of the canyon on the east and sure enough, there's hostile Indian tribes and they're surrounded once again. And, he, and Tonto looks and says, Kimosabi, what we do now? He goes, well, there's no choice. We've got to go back the way that we came. We can't go north. We can't go west. We can't go east. We've got to go south. And so as they head back to the south, all of a sudden, they're there at the end of the canyon and they're surrounded now on all four sides and there's a hostile Indian tribe waiting to attack them. And now it's the Lone Ranger's turn to ask a question as he surveys the situation, realizing that they're surrounded by hostile Indians on all four sides and that, 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 that the end is imminent. And he looks over at Tonto and says, Tonto, my trusted companion, what do we do now? Tonto looks at him and says, what do you mean we, pale face? <laughs> you know, and uh, I was reminded of that story as I was preparing for this series of messages that will basically focus our attention upon issues of marriage and family. Because many of us can relate to Tonto and the Lone Ranger. We're committed to one another for life until we're surrounded by opposition. And then all of a sudden we look at the other and say, what do you mean we, pale face? And so as we look at all of these things, it doesn't take a PhD to realize that the institution of marriage and family is in big trouble. You don't have to be well read on all the latest research and the statistics or the surveys to know that marriages are falling apart at record numbers all around us. And in fact, you know, what I have found in my own personal life is that I can read about something, but it really doesn't, it's not as impacting to me as when there is someone close to me going through a similar situation. I can read all the surveys, I can read all the reports, I can read about how marriages are falling apart at record numbers, and, you know, and those things are at a distance until it hits close to home. How many of you agree? And I think that this unscientific survey will make the point that I'm trying to make, but right now, this moment, for those of you who are here, let me ask you this question. How many of you personally know of someone that is struggling in their marriage, that is considering divorce, that may be separated, that may even be in the process of divorce, and it has affected you personally, raise your hand. 
So maybe even half the people that are here. Then you know what I'm trying to get across. And the point is, as we begin the series, I recognize in a group as diverse as ours that there, you know, there are um, a wide range of viewpoints. There's a wide range of experiences that are represented here. And I just want to encourage those of you who are single at this point in time to recognize that this series that we'll do will be very beneficial to you if you're a person who is considering getting married at any point in the future. If you're single right now, don't bail out and think, well, this is about marriage and I'm not married and I'm not even thinking about getting married. But if you're single and the possibility exists that someday you might, it's not a bad time to get some of these principles down so that you know what you're getting into before you get into it. Um, also, think about this. If you are single and you know people that are married, maybe you can actually be of some benefit to them and share some information that may be of value to their situation and you could actually help and encourage them uh, in their marriage. Now, for those of us who are married, you fall into what I would call basically three categories. One is you may be in the romance stage. And that is that you're in the honeymoon stage and you know what, everything is just great and you don't know any better and you think it's going to be that way for a long time. And I uh, well, see all the people who are laughing are beyond that stage, obviously. <laughs> but, but they know what I'm talking about. You know, there's, there's that stage where just this is great, you know, that I don't see any problems. And, but one day this will happen. You'll wake up one day and you'll look at your knight in shining armor and realize that after he took the armor off, you, now you see what you get. You know what I'm saying? And uh, for the, re the, the romance stage, we try to hide the reality from one another. In fact, there's a great a story that I heard about a couple that throughout their whole relationship together, they try to hide all the faults that they had from each other. So it didn't, you know, mess up the relationship. And uh, basically, the guy had a problem, and his problem was that he had the worst foot odor that you could imagine in the world. And he would never take his shoes off around this gal that he was dating, and she became his fiancée, and he'd never take his shoes off, he'd never let her get, let her get close to his feet, because he knew he just had this terrible foot odor. And so even after they got married for a while, he would take his socks, and he would go and wash them himself in the bathroom, and he would hide this odor from her, and so she didn't have to deal with it, and he didn't have to be exposed. Well, her problem was that she had the worst breath in the world. And she would never talk to him face to face. She'd always kind of talk to him kind of with her face turned sideways and never looked at him face to face and didn't really want to expose this odor that she had, this, this odor, that, this bad breath that she had. And so she was finally so convicted about all of it. She said, yeah, if we're going to have a relationship. It's got to be based on honesty and trustworthiness and all these things. And she was convicted about it. And so she was thinking about what to do. And in the meantime, her husband lost a pair of his socks. And he's panicking because he's afraid she's going to find these things somewhere. She's going to smell them, and she's going to look around and see what it was and find the socks. And so he's looking all over the place for these socks, and he's panicking for days. He's panicking about these socks. He can't find them for days. She's thinking about, what am I going to do about my breath, and what am I going to do? I want to make you honest with him, and I want to share this with him. So one day she finally gets up, and she says, honey. And she turns right to him and says, honey, I have something I want to share with you. And he says, don't tell me. You ate my socks. <laughs> That's kind of the way it is, you know? It's like, uh, some of you, it's killing you, you know? You can laugh, it's okay. Some of you are like, I can't, that's a disgusting story. But that's what I call the reality stage of a marriage. It's kind of like, this is, what, this is where we're at, okay? And uh, so you get the romance stage, everything's great. You get the reality stage, oh, we're starting to discover some things that we didn't really know existed. And then, once you get past that stage, you get to what's called the resignation stage, and it's kind of like, that's just the way it is. And uh, it ain't getting any better than that. And we just got to try to work with it. 
and it's like, whatever. Now, see, there's different stages to the resignation stage. There are people who just say, well, that's just the way it is, and it ain't going to get any better, and that's just the way it's going to be, and we're going to be happily married forever after, amen, ha, ha, like that. Or you get the person who says, you know what, this is the way it is, and you know what, I'm not content with that, and I'm not going to put up with that, and I'm not going to live with this anymore, and I'm just not going to go through the motions because I, I need to be happy in my life, and so while we're resigned to the fact that this is the way it is, some of us are resigned to the fact that it isn't going to get any better. And so, you know what? I want out. I don't want to deal with this anymore. And so you may be there in your relationship. You may be thinking, it ain't getting any better, and I'm tired of it the way that it is, and I'm considering some other options. And I know that that is a possibility. And in fact, in our culture, it's a probability more so than a possibility. But you also may be in the resignation stage saying, you know what? It ain't getting any better. And I would consider getting out, but, but where am I going to go? What am I going to do? What are we going to do about the kids? What are we going to do about the financial mess that it's going to cause? You know, what are we going to do about all the problems that are going to be generated because I just want to get out? And so we get to the point where we just kind of go through the motions. And you and I know many people and many couples, and maybe even you. I, I don't know. But I know that this is true of many relationships. And what I'm hoping to be able to do throughout this series is to get us all to the next level, which we could call the reconstruction level of a marriage, where we can say, you know what? I'm not content with the way it is. I'm not satisfied with the way it is. I'm not going to consider any other options, and I'm not going to just resign myself to say, you know what? If it wasn't for the kids and the finances and all the rest of the stuff, that I wouldn't be here anymore. But I want to make it better. I want, I want to make it everything that God has intended marriage to be. I want to reconstruct our lives. And I don't care whether you've been married two years or five or 20 or 30. There's always a point in time where adjustments have to be made. And it's time to say, you know what? Today I'm drawing the line. And today is a day where I'm going to commit to let's reconstruct this marriage and make it something that God intended it to be. Let's just not go through the motions anymore, but let's enjoy each other again. Let's enjoy our relationship. Let's enjoy our marriage. Let's enjoy our family. Let, let, let's, you know, let's, let's find contentment in one another and not to be satisfied for anything less than that. So that's what, that's what I'm hoping will come out of all of this, and, and I hope that you, you come along for the ride, and I hope that you don't bail out too soon because I believe that God has a lot to say about this particular institution that he has designed called marriage and family. And so that's where we're heading. So in the first couple of sessions, I want to take some time to identify what I would call 10 reasons marriages fail. 10 reasons marriages fail. Now, I realize some of you could, like uh, Paul Simon, you know, the Paul Simon song, list 50 ways to leave your lover. <laughs> and, uh, and I understand that there's more than 10 reasons that marriages fail. But I think I've narrowed them down into 10 rather broad categories. And I hope that as we go through these things, that you'll, that you'll see that you know, a lot of stuff fits under each category. But the purpose of the list isn't just to identify reasons marriages fail, but it's more important than that. It, it's to identify reasons or areas why marriages fail and to do it before they destroy our marriages, to do it ahead of time so we can take some corrective measures, so we can make some necessary halftime adjustments and come back out in the second half and, and play a better game. So we need to do things like this because that's what you know, life's all about. It's about making adjustments. And one of the things that I've learned in dealing with athletes all my life, in particular professional athletes, is you know what? It really doesn't make much difference how you start out the game. 
I mean, it's always good to go drive down the field and score the first touchdown, but you know what? I've seen teams drive down the field, score the first touchdown, and then lose 42-7. to seven. So that, you know, it, it really doesn't make much difference. It's good to start out right, but if you haven't started out right, don't get discouraged about that because now's a good time to call a timeout, dust yourself off, get up, and then go back and make the adjustments that you need to make to make the second half better than the first half. And uh, what I always learned was this. You know what? It's always better to end the game better than you started. So I get excited about that because my wife and I, we, Linda and I have been married 20 years, and I'm thinking, you know what? If, if the second 20 could be better than the first 20, you always be remembered by the last thing you do. Right? Well, that's what they say. You're always remembered by the last thing you do. So I'd rather have the next half be better than the first half. Although the first half's been great, hasn't it? See, that's the problem. I think it has, and she's not so sure. <laughs> so, but we'll deal with that in an upcoming session, I'm sure. But anyway, that's what we're going to do. So anyway, uh, we need to know what's broke before we can fix it. And I'm going to give you uh, ten, well, well, we'll do five today. But we'll do uh, ten reasons marriages fail. Okay, you ready? Number ten. And we'll go backwards. Number ten. Ten is what I call undermining activities. Now we got, we got a gentleman here from Pennsylvania. I was born and raised in an area or areas outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Grew up in a little town called Castle Shannon, which was a coal mining town. And uh, one of the things that uh, was true of that particular area um, from which I come, it was a big coal mining industry. There was big business as far as western Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and that whole area. Coal mining was a huge business. And it wasn't uh, that uncommon to hear of communities that were built upon old coal mine shafts that would, over a period of time, begin to sink and even sometimes collapse altogether. Because what would happen is the mines would fill up with water and the, and the water table would raise or it would lower and diminish depending on whether there was drought in the area or whatever. And so what happened, there would always be this expansion and contraction that was taking place on a regular basis. And sometimes developers would come in not knowing that there were abandoned mines and they went as far as they did because maybe the old mine map said that they only went two miles and maybe they went four miles. You know, maybe some people aren't always all the time when they report what they're doing. And so they would build these communities, and all of a sudden, these shafts would begin to fill up with water, and the ground and the water table would raise, and, and the ground would begin to move, or it would begin to diminish, and it would sink. And sometimes it would collapse. You know, and as I thought about that growing up, there are many things in marriage that are quite similar to that. Because on the surface, things may appear to be just wonderful in your relationship, but there could be undermining activities that are slowly eroding at the intimacy that you have as far as your marriage is concerned. And it's not too long if these things aren't dealt with, dealt with, that that relationship will slowly sink if not collapse altogether. And one day you wake up like many people in those communities did and say, what in the world, how did this happen? Woke up one day and the house just caved in. And how did that happen? Well, no, no home ever caves in overnight. And the reality of that situation was that there were things that were taking place that were undermining the foundation. Let me just share with you some personal things, and some of you will be able to relate to it, and if you want, you can share some things too. But when we first got married 20 years ago, we discovered that there were, there were activities in our relationship that were slowly undermining the intimacy in our relationship as a couple. They were things that, you know what, at, at face value didn't seem to be right and didn't seem to be wrong. And what I'm talking about here are things that are not right or wrong in and of themselves. For example, if you're out robbing banks or 7-Elevens, 
you know what, there's something about that activity that may undermine the intimacy in your relationship. Even if you're doing it together, it's going to destroy your marriage when you get caught. All right, so I'm not talking about that. So we're talking about things that are neither right nor wrong in and of themselves. So let's get that straight right off the bat. So we discovered that there were things that we were doing, or specifically more so that I was doing, <clears throat> that were undermining the intimacy. Well, you know, hey, we're a couple. No, surprise. What do you say? I know, surprise. The guy was causing the problem. What a shock. The only shock was that I'm admitting any of it. But there were little things like, let me give you an example, like softball leagues. Like, there's nothing, I know, like there's nothing wrong with softball leagues. How many guys play in a softball league? There's uh, two, okay. <laughs> oh, gosh. Got a little bit of time to kill now. No, okay. Well, how many of you used to play in a softball league until your wife got upset about it? Hey, oh, here they go. We had a hit, a hit on that one. <clears throat> All right. All right. Um, basketball league? Uh, anybody, anybody, any guy ever do anything? <laughs> ever do anything? Oh, good. Well, I, huh? Golf. Oh, let's talk about golf. Thank you. God bless you. Let's talk about golf. That's not talk about golf. He's going, no, that's not talk about golf. I like the softball direction that we're heading in. Alrighty, let's talk about golf. Anybody got a problem with the golf? You know what, seriously though, yeah, I know you do. And that's probably why you brought it up. Okay, good. But seriously though, I know, I know um, of a couple of couples. One couple, her husband goes and golfs every Saturday. He's in a men's league. And every Saturday, that's his day to golf. And that's what he does. And you know what? His wife thinks it's great. And the reason she thinks it's great is because she says, hey, it's the only activity that he has. It's his only outlet. He's busy all during the week, and it's his one time to get out and do something. And I don't have a problem with it at all. Obviously, it's not you. <laughs> but, I don't know. Sorry. All right. Now, there's another couple that remain nameless. She hates it. He goes golfing every Saturday and says, This is my time to go, and this is what I'm going to do, and I don't care whether you like it, I don't care whether you don't like it. This is my only release, and that's what I'm going to do. And there's been an, a resentment that has built up. There is anger that is there because of it. There's hostility that is there because of it. And while I may have fun with you, I, I'm very serious when I recognize the fact that, you know what? These are the types of things that I'm trying to get across that are undermining activities that if you are not in agreement together, then there's a problem. And it's just not golf. It could be softball leagues. It could be basketball leagues. Uh, it could be when we were married in, in, in our early stages of our marriage. Um, I was going to school. I was working full-time. I went to school. I went to school full-time at night. I was taking 19 units. We were married. I never saw my wife. And though I had a goal and there was a desire to do something and we said, okay, well, there's a time limit. You know, we know that it's only going to be for two years. There, were, there was a sense of, okay, well, you know, if we can make it through that, then that'll be fine. But in hindsight, as I look back on it, I recognize the fact that, you know what, it didn't matter whether it took me two or three years. There wasn't a sense of urgency other than the fact that I just wanted to go and get it done. And I didn't realize how undermining it was in our relationship. 
And I thought that was important, and I thought it was a goal that both of us had, and I knew that it was, but I didn't realize at the time, as I do now, and in hindsight, it's always 2020, and that's why some of these things that I'll share will be observations that I've learned over, you know, a period of time that I hope will be helpful to you if you're just getting married, or you just have been married, or you haven't been married very long, or whatever, or, you know, you're married for your second or third time, and you're trying to uh, figure out how this is all happening to you is that we need to recognize that there's activities that are destroying or eroding away the intimacy in your relationship. And th though there was nothing wrong with getting a college education, it could have been a disastrous thing if it meant that it destroyed our relationship together. And how sad it would be to have a college degree and to lose your wife and your children in the process. For some of us, it's our jobs and our careers. And there's nothing wrong with working. God knows we need to work, and it's a great way to provide for yourself and for your family. But when it becomes more important than your relationship, then you have problems with that, and we need to recognize that. You know, as we go through all these things, you know, I, I made a list of things that have been problems in relationships, not just ours, but in friends that we've had. You know, bowling leagues, and going to shoot pool with the guys, playing tennis you know, racquetball, even coaching and managing youth sports as I have done, as, as good as that is and what a noble thing that it is. You know, there are times when it could destroy a relationship if we're not in agreement as to the amount of time that it's going to take to do these things. And we need to understand that. We need to be sensitive to that and be aware of it because in and of themselves there seems to be nothing wrong with these things. I had a friend who, used to, who worked in a company that I was in who every day went surfing. That was his thing. And the surfing was causing a problem in his relationship with his wife. You know, now that wouldn't cause a problem for me because I wouldn't, I'd never think about going, I, you know, I grew in Pennsylvania. I mean, it wasn't like, hey, the river's looking good. I mean, what are you going to do? You know? <laughs> so that wasn't something I ever struggled with, but it was something that they struggled with. You know, hunting and fishing and camping and, and uh, you know, and, and, oh, I hate to even write this, but sports, I, this is, you know, it's, it's seemingly impossible, but sports could be a problem, I guess, for some people in their relationship with with their spouse, but sports on TV or just television in general. You know, and you go through all these things and even church activities. You know, I see a lot of bitter women whose husbands are on board after board after board and the only thing that's getting bored is she with him. And we need to recognize that. Oh, and it's a great thing, I'm serving the Lord. Yeah, but you're never here. You know, and we need to recognize that that's a very real problem in our society. And particularly with church people. We need to recognize that. You know, board meetings and classes and, and all these things seem to be, you know, you know, they don't seem to be anything wrong. But, man, I'll tell you what. If you're not sensitive and aware of the fact that it could be undermining your relationship, you're going to have a serious problem. A couple of miles, several years ago, I decided to run a marathon. I had a friend who talked me into it. Didn't talk me into it and didn't have to talk me into it very much because, you know, people don't talk me into too many things. Either you want to do it or you don't, and I used it as an excuse to say, yeah, that'd be great. And uh, it was the first time that I ran one. And, you know, and here's how stupid I am. So I'm going to expose this to all of you in case you had any doubts whatsoever. <laughs> but it's like I decided to run this marathon, and I thought, well, you know what? I want to do the best that I can do. That's kind of my nature, you know? It's just like compulsive, obsessive. When I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it and, and do it as well as I can. So I decided, well, you know, I'm going to go out and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run this thing, the L.A. Marathon. I'm going to run it uh, to win it. Now, you know, how many 195-pound marathon runners do you see winning marathons? You know, I usually you could put, I could put them in my pocket, the guys who win these things. You know, they're like 5 feet 2, about 127 pounds. And that's with everything on and wet. 
you know, and, 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 they, and they average five minutes and t 10 seconds a mile. I can't even drive that fast. <laughs> you know, I've never ran a five-minute mile in my life. I mean, seven or six and a half, I think, was the fastest I ever ran a mile, and to do it for 26 straight. So I realized that, you know what, I probably couldn't win, so I'm going to go for second place. <laughs> and so it just became a matter of, I want to do the best that I can do. And so I wanted to do well, and I didn't want to be embarrassed about it. And I wanted to make sure that, you know, and I remember meeting with the guy, Steve Scott, who was an Olympic runner and a friend of mine who had run like three or four marathons or even more than that. And I said, you know what, I'm going to run it in under three and a half hours. And the guy who had lunch with me did the, 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 the wrong thing. He laughed at me. <laughs> he said, I've run a half a dozen. I've never broke four hours. I said, that's the difference between you and me. Yeah, loser. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. But he got me mad. I mean, I, I was like, what? <laughs> you know, what do you, I, I'm telling you, I'm going to run in three and a half hours. And what was great was Steve Scott, the Olympic runner, we were having lunch. He said, you know what? Hey, I think you can do it. Because that's all you got to do is have that kind of attitude, right? So I'm thinking, I know I'm going to be able to do it now. And I knew I could do it. So it was like, you know what? Hey, Linda, take care of the kids for the next six months. I want to see you at the finish line. <laughs> now, I didn't know if it was the finish line of the race of our marriage, you know what I mean? But I'm thinking race here. So I go out and I train, I train as hard as I can. And you know what? I ran that race in three hours and 18 minutes. That's right. Now, now, now don't applaud because along the process, we had some major tension at our house. I mean, I could smell it driving up the street. I felt like a forest ranger, you know, smelling smoke. I mean, I turned the bend and I could smell it. Ooh. Hmm. But you know what? It didn't matter. See, that's how we can get sometimes. That's how I can get sometimes. I don't know if you get like that or not. But what's sad about it was, after that experience, it was like, okay, I did that. What did I win? What did I win? I got a little ribbon. Everybody got a ribbon. <laughs> The first guy got the Mercedes and it's $15,000. The rest of us got ribbons. And you know what? And, and I finished in 318, and the little old lady that finished in 8 hours and 27 minutes, she got the same stinking ribbon. <laughs> What's the point? Oh, the point is simple, and I hope you didn't miss it, but you know what? It's little things in our relationship. See, Solomon said, put it this way. He said, you know what? In Song of Solomon 2.15, he said, Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes, that ruin the vineyards, and our vineyards that are in bloom. And it's a love story between Solomon and this gal that he loved, and her name was Abishag, and I like to call her Abby, because I can't picture anybody loving an Abishag, personally. <laughs> so I just call her Abby. So he loved Abby, and then he just was crazy about her. And, and the, in this particular passage, he's saying, you know what, it's the little things that if we, we leave them unchecked, if we do not confront them, that they will destroy our relationship with one another. The phrase, catch for us the foxes or the little foxes, can be translated to, let us catch. And, they're saying, and he's saying, let us together as a couple deal with these areas that are undermining our relationship. And let's deal with them immediately and as fast as we can. Because you know why? Because our relationship is tender. Our, our blooms are in blossom. 
And for a woman that's worked out in the fields or worked around uh, vineyards, she understood because they saw the little foxes that would creep into the vineyard and begin to destroy uh, the harvest because they would take the little tender grapes or they would knock off the blooms before they became grapes. And she saw this firsthand. And so he uses this word picture to say, you know, like when you were out in the vineyard and you saw the little foxes and how pesky they were and what a problem they were and how they didn't seem to be such a big deal. They were cute little things, but they were destroying the harvest. We, used to have, we had a, a friend give us a, a wild rabbit, a bunny, a little bunny that was wild, and we were going to take care of it. And so we stuck this bunny rabbit out in the backyard, a cute little thing. The kids thought this thing was great. Every time we went outside, this rabbit ate every flower that was planted in, out in our yard. This little thing, I got booted across the fence. You know, cute little bunny rabbit. Oh, look at the bunny rabbit. <laughs> it's like, get the bunny rabbit out of here. And it was just, that's the way that it was. And it would eat the flowers, and you think, this thing's cute, but it's so destructive. See, and there's many of us who have fallen asleep in our relationship saying, this isn't that big a deal. What's so big a deal about a, soft, a, a softball league? What's so big a deal about a basketball league? What's the big deal about going golfing once a week with the guys? What's the big deal about going to the beach and I want to go surfing? What's the big deal? Don't you see? I mean, you're being selfish. What's the big deal? Well, the big deal is simply this. You know what? If you're not committed together to work it out, it'll destroy your relationship. That's why it's a big deal. And that's why it's so deceptive. And we need to recognize that. They're talking about tender grapes. Those are in bloom. And let me just share this with anyone who just got married, getting married, or hasn't been married very long. There's something that we need to understand. In the initial stages of that relationship, and as Solomon points out, as they're just beginning this relationship together, he's saying, you know what? This relationship is really tender. It's in its tender stages. It's its most formative stages. And you ask anybody in this room or it's listening who's been married for a long time, you back me up and you yell amen or whatever, but isn't it true that many of the problems that you deal with 20 years later in a relationship were rooted and founded in those first few years when you got married? Is that not true? Amen. And you carry that baggage with you because they've never been dealt with. And so what Solomon's saying, when you first get started, you better make sure that you realize that there is nothing more important in your relationship than your spouse and in your marriage. It's the most important thing in the world. Basketball leagues come second. Coaching comes second. Managing teams come second. Playing golf comes second. And a bowling league comes second. Church activities come second. Everything takes a back seat to our marriage and our relationship because you are first outside of the Lord himself. You are the most important thing in my life. And if i got to change jobs, I'm going to change jobs. And if we got to get away from some of our friends who are pulling us away, then we're going to eliminate that relationship because there's nothing more important than you, babe, and I'm in it for life with you, and that's all there is to it. And I want you to know that. Amen. Amen. Thank you. That's all right. Preach it, brother. All right? I started to feel like I was at that college back in Illinois again. Hey, preach it, brother, except for they were all alive back there. All right. All right, here you go. You love me, and you know it. You just can't take enough. You just can't handle it. You just can't get enough abuse from me, can you? Gee whiz. All right, where are we at here? Oh, look, we're out of time. Um, number, um, no. All right, now, hey, hey, hey. Seriously, though, serious. <laughs> well, segue, serious. Um, how do you know if you got one of these things going on in your relationship? <laughs> yeah, you can smell the tension. <laughs> yeah, and she's like gnawing on your leg. <laughs> That's always a good little clue that you got working there. Um, but how do you know? 
hey, what I would suggest is, now I know this is revolutionary and this may change your whole relationship, but why don't you talk about it? <laughs> I mean, it's a thought. Why don't you talk about it? Why don't you ask? I, I challenge you, I beg you, if you, if you have any desire to, to make your relationship better, I challenge you today, this week, sometime, to sit down and say to one another, you know what, that thing about undermining activities, is there something in our relationship that I'm doing that is causing you anger, that is causing you bitterness, that is causing you resentment, and frankly, you know what, you're mad at me, you're upset with me because that's what I'm doing. I need to know it because I want to know what it is and I'll tell you right now, I'll make a commitment and I'll stop doing it if you tell me. Now I'll tell you this, if you got a spouse that asks you that question, you better seriously be praying about whether you're being selfish about what you're going to ask him or her to do. You understand what I'm saying? Just because somebody asks it doesn't mean that they're wrong and maybe that maybe you're just being a little selfish. And you need to pray about it. And you need to be honest about it. And you need to speak the truth and love to one another. And you need to be willing to make whatever changes are necessary to make your relationship everything that God's intended it to be. Because your spouse needs to know there's nothing more important. Now, if you're like me, what you are discovering if you're doing some of these things, what you're discovering is, even though you get to do it, you're not having as much fun as you could have. You hear what I'm saying? I've gone out golfing when I know that Linda wasn't too crazy about the idea, and I hated the whole day. I hated it. She just had this way, even though she didn't say, I don't want you to go, but you know, I just knew she didn't want me to go, and she didn't say anything. It was like a spiritual mugging all day long. I'm, I'm just like, I shouldn't be out here golfing. I shouldn't be out here golfing. And then it's like after two or three holes, and you're, you know, you're up to 47 on the third hole, and... You know, it's just like you're just having a terrible day. You just want to throw the clubs in the lake and you just want to say, I, you know, but it's the fact that you got to go and if you went and you said that you shouldn't have gone, then she would have won and you would have lost. You know, so you struggle with all these things. But you know what I'm saying? It's just not as much fun. Now, the second marathon I ran, as fun as marathons can be, we were in agreement that I could do it and to work out a schedule that didn't interfere with our family. And we had a blast. They came, we all went together, they had a picnic, they were there, they had a great time. And it was so much more fun getting to the finish line, knowing that everyone was in my corner, than the first time, even though I did as well as I did, that I had risked my relationship with my wife and kids to be able to do something that I wanted to do. So, you know, it's like, use your head. Think about it. Undermining activities, ask one another. Number eight, or number nine, is what I call unprecedented attitude. We'll deal with this in greater detail, but, the, but unprecedented attitude with regards to divorce. Never before in the history of our country have so many developed acceptance with regards to divorce being an answer to marital difficulties. We live in a very dangerous age. We live in a time where divorce now is almost universally accepted as a solution to one's marital problems. It used to be the exception. I like two friends that were talking about, you know, that one had just gotten engaged. And he said, gee, when we were dating, I was never nervous about this. And after we've gotten engaged, I'm really nervous about getting married. And his friend looked at him and said, you should be nervous. Marriage is a big commitment. After all, seven or eight years is a long time. You know, it's like, and that's the way, and, and I mean, and this is, this is truth. I know wedding coordinators and people that perform at weddings who they don't just do a good job for the referral they're going to get by doing a good job playing at a wedding. 
they do a good job not only for the referrals and the fact that 45% of the people that they play for are going to hire them again for another wedding downstream. So not only are they just doing a good job for referrals of friends, they're doing a good job because if they do a good job, the people when they get divorced are going to hire them to do the next wedding. What is wrong with us? We have got to the point where we've got an unprecedented attitude about divorce that is unparalleled in the history of our country. It is now an acceptable option. 35 years ago, I was in grade school. My folks had gotten a divorce. My dad was abusive. He was unfaithful. He was everything that would destroy a marriage, and he did that, and as a result, my folks got divorced. While I was in a grade school class of, I think, over 100 students, 35 years ago, I was the only kid in that class whose family, whose parents had gotten a divorce. That's not that long ago, folks. It was an exception. It wasn't the rule. It wasn't the way that it was going to be. It wasn't, this is this the way that it is. I mean, and, you, and, and consider the statistics in 35 years. 20% of children in 1990 that entered school were children of unmarried parents. 45% will live in broken homes before they reach the age of 18. Between 25 and 35% are latchkey children who come home to no one who greets them at the end of the day. In 1960, there were 393,000 divorces. In 1966, there were a half a million. In 1985, the million had jumped to 1,200,000. And in 1990, it was 2 million. Ask your children. Ask them to ask their classmates how many of them or parents are divorced or have been divorced or the second marriage or third marriage. Ask them to ask kids that they go to school with. I know from coaching sports teams that at least half the people on every team that I've ever, ever coached came from divorced families or broken homes. This past year in our, our high school baseball team, there was over 40% of the, of the guys that were on that team were either in a home that was a second or third marriage or either in the process of separating or in the process of getting divorced or in the process of thinking about getting divorced. And it was an accept. How does this happen? Well, I'll tell you how it happens. We begin to believe, based on TV and movies and everything around us, that it's okay. Divorce is an acceptable option. Don't feel bad about failing in your marriage because, after all, it happens to 55% of marriages. So, I mean, what's the big deal? And we're led to believe that. Movies like Mrs. Doubtfire, where he's explaining it, Robin Williams is explaining it to his children why they're getting a divorce. Mommies and daddies, you know, sometimes they, they, they fall in love and sometimes they fall out of love. And that's just the way that it is. But it doesn't mean we don't still love you. Oh, Really? You fall in love, you fall out of love, but you'll always love us. Won't, won't you fall out of love with us too? Oh, I see how this works. That's just the way that it is. Well, you know what? Don't ever forget the fact that God hates divorce. Malachi 2.16, God says, I hate it. And I hate a man's covering himself with violence as well as with his garment. What he's saying is, you know what? Divorce is violent. And it is violent. Because God says that two people become one flesh and are one in the sight of God forever. And God says when you are divorced, you take that two and you rip it apart. And it's violent and it never tears apart nice and clean. I have people that tell me, yeah, but ours is a friendly divorce. What? Friendly divorce? What are you thinking about? Who told you that? 
And in the movie, what was it? Let's give him something to talk about. There was a line in it where the guy's sitting and he's meeting with his attorney. And his attorney says to him, is there anything that we can get on your wife? And he says, no, not really. Well, I mean, does she drink? Well, no, she doesn't drink. Well, I mean, does she never drink? Well, she has a glass of wine with dinner. Great, she's a drunk. Let's write that down. I didn't say that. Oh, it doesn't matter. Divorces aren't made in churches. This is a war. It's violent. And there's going to be bloodshed. And there's going to be bodies strewn all over the place. But hey, we want to win. We're going to win. God hates it. For every good reason that he hates it. It's violent. And stop buying into the fact that it's okay. Everybody's doing it, so it's okay. Well, it's not okay. And we'll deal more with that in a minute. You know, it's like, this is kind of the attitude that we have toward marriage. I love this cartoon. I've used it at weddings that I've done. But it's the, the, the vow of the 90s. And do you, Anne, take Arnold to be your husband, to have him to hold, love him and cherish until things get a little tough, you get burned out and split? <laughs> you know, that's kind of the way it is. Hey, you guys committed to each other until things get a little tough, huh, pale face? You know what I mean? That's just the way that it is. Number eight what I call an unrelenting attack. An unrelenting attack, which very simply is this. You know what? It doesn't matter which way you turn. doesn't matter which direction you go. But you know what? Marriage is under attack. Marriage is under attack. The traditional family is under attack. There are forces out in our world today that are trying to destroy marriage and family as we have known it. The traditional Christian, the, the Judeo-Christian marriage and family as uh, painted in the Bible is under attack. And all you need to do is pick up a TV guide and do this as a homework assignment. Pick up a TV guide and go through and look at all the primetime shows that are on network television and you find everyone, circle everyone that is attacking the family and marriage. Find every one of them. Studies have indicated that 70% of primetime television movies attack the family. Make the father look like an idiot. Make the father look like someone that can't be respected. Make the mother look like the one who's calling the shots. Promote homosexuality as an accepted lifestyle. Promote children that are in rebellion against their, their parents and they laugh about it. Destroy the family. Every, you you take, take your own TV guide and do your own homework, do your own assignment, and I'll guarantee you, I went down through it this, a couple of days ago, and almost without exception, every primetime television show is destroying the image of the family that is portrayed by God in the Bible. We've got a problem. Everywhere that we turn... Find a family where the mother, the father, the children respect the parents, the wife respects the husband, the husband goes out and earns a living to provide for his family, that the husband is faithful and there's, there's no infidelity pictured or portrayed as something that's acceptable and something that's funny or just something that's a part of life, where the children go to school and they respect their teachers, where they respect their fellow students, where they've got integrity and honesty. Go down through it and make a note and find it. And if you find one, write those people a letter and thank them that they're upholding the values that you hold so dearly in your home. We need to understand that because we need to recognize that, you know, 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be self-controlled and alert because you're enemy of the devil. They're prowling around like a roaring lion and he's looking for someone to devour. He wants to destroy you. He's been a destroyer from the beginning. Jesus said of Satan, he is the destroyer. He's a liar from the beginning and he's a murderer and he's murdered from the very beginning and he continues to murder to this day and he wants to murder your wife and murder your husband and murder your children and murder your family and destroy you. Don't you ever forget that. From the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, he had set out to destroy man and he's been doing it ever since. 
And it wasn't long after that that he destroyed Adam and Eve while he, had, while he interjected temptation into the life of one of their children, Cain, who rose up to kill his brother. And there's been dysfunction in the family ever since. And everywhere around us we're getting feedback that that's just the way that it is and that's acceptable and normal. We have TV shows like Friends where it's a bunch of single people living together and the only married guy that was married, his wife left him to go live with a lesbian lover. And she's having his child with this other gal. And that's normal and that's funny and that's just the way that it is. And as funny as some of these shows are, and I watch them and I look at them and I laugh at some of the things, and then I realize, but Chuck, don't you understand? What is the message that's being portrayed here? What's the message that my children are picking up as they watch the show? Hey, infidelity's okay. Hey, homosexuality's okay. Hey, it's okay to make fun of your father. He's an idiot. It's okay for the mother to call the shots. It's okay. This is okay. That's, and it's not okay. And we need to recognize that. And we need to realize that, you know what, we need, to, we, need to be, we need to be aware of what God has to say. We need to understand that. Yeah, we'll do the rest next week. We got enough homework, huh? You need to stop and think about it. And you go through these things. Number one, undermining activities. Are you willing to do something about it before it erodes the intimacy of your relationship? I mean, if you, if you did nothing else after you left here, but you sat down with your spouse and you said, is there something that I'm doing that's causing tension in our relationship? And let me tell you something. You don't even have to ask, do you? Okay, you already know. It's just a matter of whether you want to give it up or not. It's just a matter of who comes first. It's a matter of who's more important. You or your spouse. You or your family. You or your marriage. You or what? But ask. Because some of us are pretty slow and we may not know. <laughs> so we need to talk about it. We need to ask about it. And we need to be sensitive to each other. Don't accept divorce as an option. It's not an acceptable alternative. You may be here today and you may be thinking, this is our last ditch attempt to salvage our relationship. Can I just encourage you and plead with you and beg with you to draw the line and say that, you know what, as much as I can't stand to be around you right now, as much as I hate everything that's gone on in our marriage, and as much as I want to get out of this, I'm going to stick it out and we're going to make it work. And with God's help and the grace of God, we're going to turn it into something that we could never dream that was possible because He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we could even ask or think. And we're going to trust Him. If that's your situation, I encourage you to do that. And the last thing is this. You know what? I, I would also encourage you to protect your relationship from anybody or anything that's trying to destroy it. If you've got divorced friends who make you believe that, you know what, get rid of the bum, then you need to get away from those people. If they're encouraging you to do anything but make your marriage work, then you need to get away from them and you need to run as fast as you can. Because, you know what, Satan's speaking through them. And you need to tell them, get behind me, Satan. Just like Peter, when, G when he spoke to Jesus, he said, get behind me, Satan, even though it was Peter, but it was Satan speaking through him, telling him, hey, you know what, you don't have to go to the cross. You got friends telling you, you don't have to put up with this in your marriage. I just tell them, you get behind me. Because I'm going to make this thing work. Television, movies, anything that is destroying your relationship, you need to put it behind. And you need to focus on the Word of God. So we got a whole bunch of stuff we're going to cover. And I hope that that in itself will be helpful until you get back here next time. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your Word. We just thank you for how practical it is, how real it is, how relevant it is to our situation. God, I just pray for every person that's here, including myself, 
that we can have marriages that are everything that you intended them to be, that will not be satisfied and content with anything less than that, that will not be resigned to just go through the motions, that will not be resigned to think that nothing can change, that will not be resigned to look for other ways out, but that will keep our eyes and ears on you. God, we just thank you that your word exposes areas of our life that we don't even see sometimes that are destroying us without us even knowing it. But we can feel the effects, but we just don't know what to do. And we just thank you that you give us counsel as to the steps that we need to take. Now I just pray that each one of us that have heard your word would be obedient in taking those steps and that we would lean on you for the power to be able to do it. And we just praise you and thank you for what you're going to do throughout this series. In Christ's name, amen.